All right, so you guys are in um, John. I'm sorry, I told you. Did I tell you John chapter 6? I think it's Luke chapter 6. It is, isn't it? Yeah. But y'all did such a great job going to John. It's fantastic. Luke chapter 6. Um, while you're turning there, let me ask you this question. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just curious if this has ever happened to anybody. Have you ever shown up, have you ever found yourself at a party, but you didn't know who the party was for? Has that ever happened to anybody? I know it sounds weird, right? But, like, I, I guess maybe college might be the place that would happen more than, like, you know, in neighborhoods. But you just kind of hear this noise. People sound excited. They sound like they're having a good time. You just kind of get caught up in it. And then maybe they start singing, maybe it's a birthday party, they start singing happy birthday, and you're just, you're in it, you're singing it, and then it gets to the name part, and you're just like, wait, what, who? All right, I, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I will tell you this, true story, I was at a party for me and sat alone. I mean, like, the longer the party went, it wasn't my family, by the way, my family would never do that, but at a, at the longer that celebration party thing went, the less people talked to me and the more they talked to themselves. And, like, it was, like, literally, like, I was at this part of the room and everybody else was somewhere else talking to each other. And I was like, okay, sweet. The, the point here is sometimes we get caught up in the party and we forget who the party's for. And, and I would say this. I'd even go so far as to say that that's where the American church is. That's where, that's where our, our Christian culture is today. We're so caught up in all the activities of the party, of the stuff, that we've forgotten who this is for. So we learn a lot of things about Jesus, but we don't learn how to actually be with Jesus, right? And I wonder sometimes if Jesus is sitting there going, um, hello, <laughs> y'all know it's about me, right? It's about me. And I, and I want to encourage us this morning, as we start to look at, like, this is a series we've been I've, been, I've had on my heart for well over a year, for this specific season. Thursday is 40 days till the election. You know, the election, right? 40 days. I've had this on my heart for a year to get us ready for that day. And I want to start this morning before we even, you know, the next six or seven weeks we'll be looking at individual individual lives of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles of Jesus. We'll definitely take a look at them and see, like, how they were made and, like, what, what made them tick. And some of them we know a lot about and some of them we don't really know much about. But today, I want to remind you that this party of 12 that we're going to look at, Jesus is the life of the party. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Jesus is the life of the party. If we get caught up studying 12 men and don't get the fact that those 12 men followed one king, we have missed the whole thing. So this morning is all about Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. It's all about Jesus, okay? So here's the truth. Without one king, there would never have been a party of 12. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but our nation is divided. Is this news to you? There's a lot of division in our nation. Um, a lot of people are calling for unity. You would not believe how many times, and it's not a bad thing, but how many times, like, people will say, we should teach on unity, we should talk about unity, we sh and we should. Those are great things. But I want to say this clearly. This Party 12 series, this is not a series about unity. 
This is a series about Jesus. Period. Because when we get that, unity is a byproduct. When we all get that we are following Jesus, unity is the result of that. Unity cannot be a goal. It's a byproduct. If we make unity or agreement or alignment, if we make all of those the goal, then what's going to happen is I'm going to ask you, I know this would never happen in your relationships, but that would be like me saying to Wendy, we have unity, but what we really have is my preference, and I made sure she did what I wanted. But if we're both following Jesus, it will never be my preference. It will be his preference, and it will impact both of us, and that's what creates the unity. Does that make sense? Y'all are so quiet. Mm. Good. Perfect. Fantastic. Could y'all hear the real meaning of that yes, by the way? It's like move on. Right? It was, I mean, I read that right, didn't I? It's okay because it, that's what everybody else was thinking too. <laughs> yes, we get it. Keep going. So, listen, there's all kinds of things that we don't have in common. Um, what we're going to find is that this party at 12, man, they were different. They had nothing in common <clears throat> except Jesus. So here's your big idea, really, for today, but this is for the whole series. You're going to hear this phrase until you just want to, you'll be sick of it. But who we have in common is more powerful than what we don't, right? Who we have in common, Jesus, is more powerful than what we don't. Um, what are some things that we don't have in common? Um, favorite sporting teams, right? We don't have how we budget money in common. We don't, um, I bet we could divide the room almost evenly over Coke and Pepsi, although this is the South, so maybe more Pepsi. I don't know. Is that right? Point proven, right? We could definitely divide the room between Burger King and McDonald's, but then I would, I'd bring you all back together with Chick-fil-A, right? That's how that would work. The, the point is there's so much that we don't have in common, and this series is about who we have in common, okay? So uh, Luke chapter 6, we're going to read this together, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, and, and then we'll, I've just, I've got three observations. Y'all know I do three a lot, but I've got three observations. Listen, I, what I've been praying this week is that as you hear these, even as I'm saying these observations, I've been praying that the Holy Spirit just gives you so much more, right? Like you walk up to me after church and go, why didn't you say this? And I'll be like, dude, that was good, right? Because that's how the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and applies it. So feel free to make these better than I've got. But here's Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. says this, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So I want us to stay in those five verses this morning, okay, and just talk through these observations. Now, let's start with the, the first four words. These just stood out to me. I don't know what your version says. I'm in the New International Version. One of those days. And I just thought, man, isn't that a phrase that we can all relate to? Have you ever, have you ever said to somebody at the end of a really long day, they're like, how was your day? 
Man, I just had one of those days. I just had one of those days. Like nothing went right. It just everything I did just or yeah, it was just uh, it was today. I just thought what a, what an what an ordinary way to start this passage. Like yeah, on one of those days Jesus went to a mountainside to pray. I want you to know this. Here's the first observation. Jesus brings the extraordinary into the ordinary. I think sometimes what we do is we try to get out of the ordinary, don't we? I mean, if I could just get away to fill in the blank. If I could just get away to a phenomenal Bible conference. If I could just get away to youth camp. If I could just get away to Hawaii. I'm just throwing things out. Right? If I could just get away to and then fill in the bike wherever you think if I could get to that place, it would be extraordinary. But Jesus brings the extraordinary into the ordinary. You know, I, I so many of the things that we celebrate today happen in ordinary moments. If you read the gospels, like I, everybody wants mountaintop experiences with Jesus, and those are fantastic. But the larger percentage of the gospels are these 12 men walking dirt roads with Jesus and nothing's happening. They're just with Jesus. Going to the next whatever that is. And the things that we read in the Gospels, those red letters that are from Jesus, most of that is spoken in ordinary circumstances. But they're extraordinary, aren't they? That's why they're red letters in our Bible. He brings the extraordinary into the ordinary. So here's what that means. What felt like a a routine day, maybe a rut for these guys, was the day that Jesus changed everything for 12 men, for their families, and for the world. You and I are different today because of what happened on that ordinary day. When on one of those days, Jesus went up on a mountainside to pray. So if you follow Jesus in ordinary, you will be in a position to experience the extraordinary. Now, I don't need to convince you guys of this. The world has an agenda to divide us. Can I get an amen for that? Right? Like we see it all the time. Depending on, like, we could divide over which news source is our favorite. The world has an agenda to divide us. But John 10.10 shows us who that agenda comes from. The thief comes only. Everybody say only. This means of all the things that we blame the devil for. He's only come to do three things, steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. And either we're not smart or he's really good. Because for thousands of years, he's been running the same place. And we've been buying it. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to divide and conquer, right? If I can just separate you from the pack, then I can take you out. So where is our culture right now? primed to be taken out because he's separated so many people from everybody that they're close to for whatever reason, right? But we're not unified. We're apart. But John 10.10 goes on to say that Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here's the second observation. Here's what I want you to see, that Jesus brings together what the world pushes apart. And again, this is a series about Jesus. So not the disciples were super smart guys and they walked close to each other. No. What you're going to learn is these guys didn't even like each other. 
But Jesus brings together what the world pushes apart. So if we could have been in a circle with these 12 men, you could have heard people say stuff like, why would you hang out with him? Things that we'll get into in a little bit, um, a little bit like in a couple weeks. You know, out of the 12, Jesus had three that he hung out with the most. Anybody know who they were? Bible scholars in the room? Peter, James, and John. I told Wendy last night, these things that have just crossed my mind. Andrew's not in the big three. And most commentators think Andrew was the first one to follow Jesus. And Andrew then went and got Peter and brought him, who didn't really want to follow Jesus, but Andrew, I guess, drug him or something. And then Andrew's not in the big three. And if that happened to any of us, we'd be so mad. We'd, we'd be so hot and bothered. Are you kidding me, Jesus? I was the first one. And I'm not even in the big three. I'm not even asking to be number one, but at least number one, two, or three. At least. But what did Andrew do? He just followed Jesus. Because the world wants to push us apart, but Jesus wants to bring together. He brings us together. And here's how he does it. He has two words. He speaks to the divide with two words. And here's what they are. Follow me. So he goes to Andrew. Hey, Andrew, follow me. Peter, follow me. Matthew, follow me. You know, like he's, we're going to see this over and over again. He just calls him to follow. And so they get up and follow him. And as they're following Jesus, they start noticing there's other people following Jesus. Huh. Wow. Shocked that you're, wow. Are you sure about that guy, Jesus? All right. They're just following Jesus. And as they follow Jesus, they get closer together. That's why I said unity is a byproduct of following Jesus. If you don't have unity, you're not following Jesus. I'm not talking about your salvation. You can't follow Jesus together and not end up together in unity. Some of the people that he called um, a hot-headed fisherman, a hated tax collector, a doubter, a future trader, and the one I can't wait to camp out on is um, Simon called the Zealot. Because he was a political revolutionary. You think that's relevant to our culture today? And all of these men were following Jesus. Can I just, can I just tell you this? If you'll follow Jesus individually, I don't mean separately, like don't be a part of my life, but if you'll just take care of you, forget about the people around you just, just for a season. Trust me, just let Jesus deal with you. If you'll follow him individually, you'll be in a position to experience unity. But what we do is we get so caught up with what everybody else is doing. And I think there's a scripture in the Bible that, talks about this. I think Peter turned to Jesus and said, what about him? And Jesus' response was, yeah, what about him? Which translation, Paul's translation, what he was saying was, what about you, Peter? I'll take care of him, but let's talk about you. And so if we go, if we go through a series and, and maybe not deflect our stuff away from us and just let Jesus deal with us individually, I believe we'll come out on the other end with a whole lot more unity. Two down, one to go. Aren't you so glad you came today? Y'all are like, I don't know, man. 
I don't know. So one last observation. So these were, these were not only ordinary men, but I'm going to use another, another term. These were overlooked men. These were throwaways in that culture. The fishermen, that was a pretty decent job. But tax collectors, tax collectors were considered traitors because they, they took money from their own people and more than they should take. They cheated their own people and then gave that money to the enemy. These were throwaways. And, and it's possible that you're here and you feel invisible. Does anybody ever feel invisible? You're like, yeah, I'm raising my hand, but you don't see me, right? Like, I go through seasons, honestly, where I feel invisible. I think sometimes, I think sometimes the enemy is so keen on that that he just makes sure that sometimes when we text people, they don't text us back for a couple days, and we start going, "Did they even? Do they care about me anymore?" It's so easy to feel invisible, and I think these twelve men can relate to that. And I want to share this last scripture with you. Uh, two scriptures. Uh, number one, Ephesians 2.10. We talk about this one all the time. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we know how we matter to God. We know that we're valuable to God. You were made on purpose for a purpose. You are valuable because you were created in the image of God. And I think what these men learned was they'd look at somebody like, Matthew, the tax collector, who they hated because he just, he just took their money. You got to get, these people lived in the same area. He just took their money. And they started learning how to love him because they had to look at him not as a tax collector, but as somebody who was created in the image of God. And so when they see him that way, it draws them together. You and I matter because we're made in the image of God. So 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, here's what it says. And I think this is what we see in, the, in the, the party of 12. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Can I get an amen? Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Listen, we see this in the 12, and don't we see it in us too? I mean, who of us is going to stand up and go, yeah, God, when you picked me, man, that was a good call, right? But aren't we kind of more like Peter, like seeing all these fish getting in the boat, jumping in the boat, and he's just like, Jesus, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. We see Jesus, and we realize, man, why is he picking me? Why does he want to do this in my life? Why am I part of this group? Men that were ignored and underestimated and thrown away are the perfect instruments to be used by God. Can I just get, give this last observation? Jesus brings value to what the world throws away. So if you'll follow Jesus expectantly, you'll be in a position to be valued immeasurably. By him. One last thought, and then we'll pray and get out of here. What I've thought all week long is put yourself in a position to be chosen by God. So we don't even have time to unpack this. I'm just going to drop it on you, and then we'll unpack it in weeks to come. 
But Jesus spent the entire night praying to the Father about who to pick. And you know what I learned this week as I was studying? I mean, if you'd have asked me, I got a master's of divinity. I've been pastoring years. If you'd just come to me on the street and said, hey, Paul, I'm just curious, like, when did Jesus choose the 12 apostles? I'd have said, oh, like at the beginning of his ministry, like, you know, when he was getting started. Do you know that he picked the 12 in his second year of his ministry? I didn't know that. So for an entire year, Jesus was followed by disciples. But in the second year, when he went up on that mountainside, he asked the Father, which of these disciples that are following me, which ones have you asked me to call to something greater, to something higher, to another position, another plan, another part of the plan? And I kept thinking, like, if you look at this 1 Corinthians why would, why would he pick a tax collector? Why would he pick these different people? And I think it's because they put themselves in a position to be chosen. They said to themselves, we're not worthy of this. We're desperate. All we have is Jesus. He's our only hope. And I, I'm sure the other disciples felt the same way. But I do know this. If they hadn't been following Jesus for that whole year, they wouldn't have been in a position to be chosen for what they were chosen for. So can I just bring this back to you and to me? Are you in a position to be chosen by God, to do what he's called you to do in this generation? Are you following Jesus? Individuals, like, I'm, it's just me and you, Jesus. I'm following you. Are you following Jesus? Not worried about everybody else, just you and him. Are you allowing him to bring you closer to him so that he can pour into you and call you to something greater? And I want to pray this morning as we close, I want to pray that we would also answer the two words that Jesus said to those men. Follow me. And, and this isn't about just getting saved for the first time, right? This is about every single day we wake up, we open the Bible, we read something in the Bible, and we realize, holy cow, in this scripture right now, Jesus is saying, follow me, Paul. Will you follow him? Would you close your eyes? Would you just consider that for a moment? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. For the next seven weeks as we go through this series, Party of Twelve, for the next seven weeks as we move closer to this, to this election, I'm asking you to make a commitment that you will follow Jesus. To whatever he says, wherever he says, and however he says it, that I will follow Jesus. That when he looks at me and says, follow me, I'll say yes. And if you're willing to make that commitment today, whether you're, you've been a Christian for your whole life since you were a child, or you're here today for the first time thinking, I need to follow Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand. I want you to make that commitment to him for the next seven weeks. I'm in, God. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you no matter what you say, no matter where you say to go. Thank you so much. Lord, right now in your name, Jesus, I pray as we walk out of here this morning that we would walk out knowing this. It's not about whether we agree with one another. It's all about are we following you? Because who we have in common is more powerful than what we don't. Not that the things that we talk about don't matter because they're important, but they're not as important as who we're following and as, as important as who has called us to something greater. I pray that this week we would put ourselves in a position for the Spirit to pick us for a purpose. 
in a position, God, is in prayer before you saying, if you don't touch me, God, I have no hope. And I ask that you would do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.